Good morning, everyone. How are you? Doing all right? It's good to see your faces here. If you're online, I can't see your face, uh, but it is good to have you here. I just want to start off this morning. Can we, uh, we're going to start off with just that connect uh, video. And what I want to do is this. If you're in the room, say what's up to somebody. If you're online, text somebody, say what's up. Um, You can fill that card out at lakelandvineyard.org forward slash connect. And uh, so we're just going to take two minutes and we're going to say what's up to somebody in the room or online. And uh, and then we'll be right back here. And so go. All right. Well, welcome back from your little break there. And I just want to encourage you also, we have, uh, there's different ways to connect at Lakeland Vineyard. Uh, One of those ways is through small groups. There's three unique small groups that are running, um, that are going to be running this semester. Uh, One is going to be on the the latter half of Romans. Uh, One is going to be basically on, um, it's a fun way of looking at Christian apologetics, right? And that just means, that's a big word for uh, defending or defense of the faith, right? And we don't have to think of it like this shield that you're going to hold up. It is just the truth of the gospel and what, what it is. And then Scott Smith is going to be leading. That's Chuck and Lee Gore will be leading that one. Uh, Dave and Jan Baker will be leading um, the Romans uh, small group. And then there's one that Scott Smith is going to be leading, and that is called Scott... Remind me of the title. If you're, if you're joining us online, the small group leader right now is, no, it's uh, 
the garden. Yeah, it's the garden, and so Scott will be going through horticultural lessons on how to self-sustain. Um, solar panels will be involved. Um, so, uh, anyways, in all seriousness, no, those uh, those signups are online. Uh, you can read about the description, which will be a lot better than what I just did. And uh, but you can sign up for those if you're in the room. There's sign-up sheets that are in the back on the back table. You can sign up for those. And those are on three different nights of the week. And so we just encourage you to sign up for one of those groups. Uh, get to know one another. Uh, believe this in a smaller, uh, more intimate setting in a house. Uh, what tends to happen is people just rub shoulders more. And you get to know one another more. And so we just encourage you to be part of one of those groups. Um, we also encourage you, if you're a Lakeland Vineyardite, to give so that the ministry of Lakeland Vineyard can continue on. You can do that at lakelandvineyard.org forward slash give. And so we just encourage you uh, to do that as well. If you can, stand with me, though. That's right. That's the alarm for the congregational reading. And so, and what we're going to do is... <laughs> We're going to read uh, this scripture, and uh, this is found in Philippians. Of course, when we read this, I'd love for us to read it with a heart of prayer um, and to contemplate what we're saying, and this is coming out of Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, and so read this or pray this with me. It says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Amen. You can be seated. And what Josh was talking about there was so important that it's not just this thing that's off in the future, this this resurrection power that we have this pass in knowing Jesus that one day we we get to go to heaven, and for some of us, that imagery is so different for a lot of us, right? And so what does it mean, though, to experience the resurrection power of Jesus Christ even now? When we say, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means that the resurrection power of Jesus Christ can be experienced in our own lives, and the very things that are bringing death to us, we can experience life in Christ, and so that is the hope of Christ, that we can come alive fully in and through Jesus. And so I want you to think of, thank you, I just got a text from a small group leader. And I know that everyone will sleep better tonight because they think that Mount of Olives is the small group. Mount of Olives. Garden of Gethsemane. Okay. Uh, and so... Here's what, back to this. All right, so here's what I want us to think about. We're going through the book of John. We're just going to go through the entirety of the book of John. You know, how long is this series going to be, Andy? Uh, It'll be at least 21 weeks, all right? But it'll probably be more than that. And for your relief, every four weeks that passes by, there will be a new graphic. So it'll trick you like we're starting a new sermon series, but we're not. All right, and so, uh, but what I want us to think about specifically today uh, is this. Uh, The thing that keeps me from the thing. 
I want you just to think about that and apply that to yourself. The thing that keeps me from the thing, right? And the first thing in there, I just want it to be lowercase, and the second thing, I want it to be all caps. The thing that keeps me from the thing. And so as we continue on into the book of John here, we're at chapter 3, verses 22 through 36, and I'm just going to read those. It's a longer read, so hang with me. It'll be on Air Bible up here behind me, and if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to it. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, so if yours is a bit different, uh, it's all good. And so here it goes in verse 22. Then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time with them there baptizing people. At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing at Enon near Salem because there was plenty of water there and people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown into prison. A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people. And everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. And John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you. I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the, oh, excuse me. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride. And the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are on earth, and we speak of earthly things, but he comes from heaven, and he are in, and is greater than anyone else." He testifies about what he has seen and heard, but how few believe what he tells them. Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true, for he is sent by God. He speaks God's words, for God gives him the spirit without limit. The father loves his son and has put everything into his hands. And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. And so we look here. Again, we're, we're, we're thinking of this constantly. It's the thing that's keeping me from the thing. What is the thing that's keeping me from the thing? And, and can you imagine with me John's disciples? Can you imagine maybe some of the thoughts that they would have? Well, what do you, what do you mean we're supposed to follow somebody else? What, what do you mean, uh, you know, you're, you're anointed by God, John, all right? You're my rabbi. How am I supposed to go somewhere else? And then John says to his disciples, hey, I'm not the Messiah, and can you imagine, some of them are still like, yeah, but you're anointed by God. And we still want to follow you because we've followed you, and this is what we've done, and this is what we're used to. And so he goes on, and he explains to them 
more explicitly then. He says, no, you don't get it. I have to decrease and he must increase. And there's still this crowning John by his disciples, crowning him with something that he was not. And after all, who wants to start over? Who wants to learn a different way? Who wants to learn from a new teacher? We all love change, don't we? We just, everyone in the room here, we just embrace it. We love every moment of it. No, what we do is we get stuck in our ways and we find satisfaction in our ways, even though there might be better ways. We become comfortable. And the story of elevating people or things uh, to where they're not supposed to be runs throughout human history. And we love to place things or people in elevated positions. Now, why, we, why do we do this as humans? Well, we elevate things or people because maybe, maybe they give us some ex- exclusivity. Maybe they, they bring us into the know a little bit more than the next average person. Or maybe they provide something that we desire or something that we want. Or, or maybe they're even giving us this feeling as though we are gaining some sort of power by knowing them or possessing something. And maybe that will give us an advantage. Or what if it's just as simple as this? I'm in the in crowd now because I know him. I'm in the in crowd because I know her. And it provides us with some sort of maybe status that we maybe long for. And so we can find these examples in the Bible, right? I mean, it doesn't take very many pages. And when I say very many, depending on the size of the font that your Bible's written in, maybe the first or second page, you find out that humans created in God's image, 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 uh, are seeking power. They're seeking power. Influence. They're seeking an identity that is outside of what God has called them to. And so we think then, the first couple pages, who would those characters be? There's two of them. Who would that be? Adam and Eve. Good. Okay. In Genesis. That's, it wasn't a trick question, I promise. All right. And so they are wanting to see and act beyond what God had called them to. They want to see and they want to act beyond what God had called them to. They were disobedient to what God had given them. God had instructed them. God had put up boundaries for them that, was, that were good for them. They were healthy boundaries, but they wanted to supersede those boundaries. They wanted to go beyond. They wanted to disobey in this thing that we call sin. And we don't like to call, talk about sin that much, right? but it's a real thing. We all struggle with it. We have all sinned and we have all fallen short of the glory of God, right? A beautiful passage written to us by um, the Apostle Paul. And, and so we think about this and we think about this falling short. We think about that it's happened, wow, from the very beginning, like our, our great, 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 our parents, our OG parents, they are the ones that started this whole thing. 
And then it's just been perpetuating since then. And we all struggle with this. If we, if we take a little bit further into the, um, into the Bible, we see a king, a king that was even said to have the heart after God. And his name was David. And so here's David, and he's out, you know, one evening. Let's just go there with him. And he's out on his balcony, and it looks, I mean, can you imagine the balcony of a palace, all right? And so he's there. He's drinking a fine red, and he's just enjoying it. Maybe he's stirring it in his little gold cup made of solid gold. It's got some weight. And he looks out, and he sees this lady bathing on the rooftop. And he thinks to himself, I want her as my own. And then here's what he does. He stops at nothing to make that happen. Even as far as sending that lady's husband into battle so that he would be killed. Make sure he's not just in the battle. Make sure you push him all the way up to the front lines. Make sure like he's one of the first ones to invade. Because that's going to bring certain death. And so he pushes on. He gets what he wants. He goes beyond what God has called him to do instead of being satisfied with what God has called him to do. And those are the, those are the ancient examples. Uh, you know, what about Bill, who is, if your name's Bill in here, I'm not talking about you, uh, uh, what about, <laughs> Bill's like, uh, uh, what about Bill who is a follower of Christ? He works a job that allows him to provide for his family in plenty, all right? And, but for years, he's had no deep and meaningful connection or interaction with his wife or with his kids. He has decided and over the years has faded into being emotionally detached, he believes with his whole heart that by providing for his family, just financially, he is doing what God has called him to do. Bill can't see the thing, capital, because of the thing. The thing that's in front of Bill is dollar signs, and he can't see the thing that's in front of him that, has, that God has called him to be a father and a husband who is emotionally connected to his family. And so, what can we learn from these stories? What we can learn from these stories is not that, that in those times and in those places and in Bill down the street that, that, man, sucks for them. What we can learn is that we have a responsibility to not abuse the position that we find ourselves in. Well, Andy, I'm not in a really high position. I don't hold a really great job. And I don't have an influence on a lot of people around me. Keyword, a lot of people. I do have influence on people around me. You might find yourself in the lowliest of position that does not relieve you of the responsibility that God has put into your life. And so we think about not abusing the position we find ourselves in. Not reaching for things that are not what God has called us to. We don't want to reach for those things. We don't want to go beyond where God has called us to. And so, 
Why do I say we? Well, from every young person in the room to the oldest person in the room to the oldest person joining us online and the youngest person joining us online, we all fight against this thing called pride. And I looked up this definition, and I found it so interesting that normally I'm not a definition guy, but I do want to share this with you because I, I felt like it just ties so importantly into what we're talking about. It says this, pride, a high or inordinate opinion of one's own dignity, importance, merit, or superiority whether as cherished in the mind or as displayed in bearing, conduct, etc. And I thought, wow. Adam and Eve, an inordinate opinion of their superiority. David, an inordinate opinion of his merit. Bill, an inordinate opinion of his importance. And really, I mean, pride is, is, the, is really a baseline sin because it's in pride that we start to look and we start to say, well, I don't want to really do it God's way. I want to do it my way. And we all have things that we do this. We create idols out of people. We can create idols out of systems out of material things, um, and dare I say that we can even create idols of ourselves, and we can turn ourselves into idols, and, and what we do is we put more weight on them than they were ever intended to carry, but we feel like we can do it because we've set an inordinate opinion of ourselves and our dignity and our superiority and our importance and our merit. And so we feel like we can carry these or we feel like that person can carry these. And what we do when we do this is when we put the weight on things that were not intended to carry the weight, what we do is we actually step outside into a space that is the denial of reality. The reality is this. Sometimes the old song says, I have made you too small in my eyes, Lord, forgive me. I've believed in a lie that you were unable to save me. But now, oh Lord, I see my wrong. Heal my heart and make myself strong. Remix, all right? And so the opposite of pride is humility, not having a high and inordinate opinion of your own dignity, your own importance, your own merit, or your own superiority. And in this way, we deny reality when we put the burden on the things that were never intended to carry those things. And just like John's disciples or some of his disciples, we make a decision to stay in darkness. And rather than seeing the reality that John was not to increase his disciples or some of his disciples said, no, you increase, increase. Like we got a good thing going here. Keep doing what you're doing. And John is a man of wisdom and he says, no, I have to decrease. I have to decrease more and more. And so we think about, maybe we think about this. Um, 
can we identify some of the things in our lives that might, and you don't have to shout them out, that might be bad things? Bad things that maybe keep us from experiencing um, Christ in the fullness, maybe keep us in our minds uh, away from the grace uh, of God would be what some stuff would be right off the top I would think of would be, you know, love of money above anything else, uh, greed, lust, pride. I mean, and you can think of the list goes on and on, right? Anger, uh, and, and you could go on and on. And here's John, he's saying, no, don't, don't put this on me. I don't need this. He's having a serious moment of wisdom here. He knows his role. Again, he knows who he is in God. And, and so the story leads me to ask, and I ask a few people this question by texting them, and I got some responses that said, what are, we always think of the bad things, right? But what are the good things that keep us from knowing Christ? And here's some of the responses I got. Uh, distractions, for example, entertainment, TV, Facebook. Uh, work, wanting to live in the moment, as in doing a lot of social things. That's the thing, FOMO, I'm sure you guys have heard that, fear of missing out. Um, the ease of life can cause me to drift and not include Jesus in all that I do. Um, giving attention to things that draw me away from spending time with Jesus, right? And, and these can be good things like in and of themselves, okay? You're not, you're not, like you're okay. You have a Facebook account. You're good, all right? Like you have an Instagram. You're good. You have Snapchat. You're good, okay? Um, you watch a movie. You don't have to feel bad about that, okay? So this isn't a thing where I'm just killing everything, but when those things that are good, maybe in and of themselves, start to take over our relationship, we can't see the thing because of the thing. We become like John's disciples. We can't see. We, we choose to then stay in the darkness. And so I love, John says this, that, that Jesus is from above. In other words, he's seen it all and he knows it all. And you can see that this reference is back again to the, to the prologue in chapter one. Here's Jesus Created before anything, here he is. He was, he wasn't created. He was before anything. He created everything. Through him, everything is created. In him, there is no darkness, but there is light. And so I'd like to present this to you, this idea that the qualification that Jesus had didn't rest on his ability to teach well, it did not rest on his ability to say the right things. It did not rest on his ability to even perform miracles. Rather, here's, what, here's how he was qualified. God, he came from God. He was complete in God. I'm reading a book right now, um, very interesting book, and, but, but a quote says it like this from this book. It says, he, his, referring to Jesus, his identity was defined by his relationship to his father. This was who he was. His whole life flowed from this. What he did was not the basis of his identity, 
but rather pointed to who he was. And I want to say that again because I was in the car the other day and I was listening to this book and I like hit, you know, the backwards 15 seconds about four times on this one because I really wanted to get it. So, so Jesus' identity was defined by his relationship to his father. This is who he was. His whole life flowed from this. What he did was not the basis of his identity, but rather pointed to who he was. John, in this chapter, in verse 27, says this, no one can receive anything, anything, unless God gives it to him from heaven. I wanna flip a couple pages over, or a few pages over, to Romans 5, 1 through 11. And I just really felt like this passage speaks to what John is saying here, all right? It is this, it says this. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace in God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into the place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that help, that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation and this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God has restored was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord, Jesus Christ, has made us friends of God. That passage to me speaks of that, John three twenty seven. You, the only thing that can be, um, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven, right? We don't make ourselves right with God. We come to God because he has made us right through his son, Jesus Christ. And I just wanna, just gonna give you, uh, I wanna bless you this morning with this, is I'm gonna reword that quote I want us to just take this in this morning as we wrap here and just receive this, if you would. Your identity is defined by your relationship to the Father. This is who 
you are. May your whole life flow from this reality. What you do is not the basis of your identity. Rather, your actions point to who you are. Stand with me. Now that you know what you're receiving, because <laughs> sometimes people will be like, just receive this blessing. I'm like, hold up, all right? I just want us to, to uh, I'm gonna pause here for a moment. And I wanna ask the Holy Spirit just to come and do what he wants to do. Okay? Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. You're here among us. Would you come and do what only you can do? And in this moment, we want to give you the space to do that. So as we pause our hearts and our minds and we, we come to you, would you come and move? In Jesus' name. Just allow God to speak to the depths of who you are. Those things that need to be resurrected by only the power of Jesus Christ. May they begin to be resurrected. Holy Spirit, would you come and just break every chain that would hold us back from knowing the fullness of your grace and your mercy. And maybe the chains that we've put upon ourselves as we found our identity and the things that we do, maybe the things that we say, the people we hang out with, the stuff that we have, Ask for your forgiveness, God, or we have made you too small. And I just pray even now for, for deep healing, God.
know, I just keep seeing um, that reference in Ezekiel to this stone heart becoming softened. And so if that's you, just pray, God, would you come and soften hearts this morning? Lakeland Vineyard, people that are here this morning, join us online. Your identity is defined by your relationship to the Father. This is who you are. May your whole life flow out of this reality. May what you do not be the basis of your identity. But rather, may your actions point to who you are. As my dear friend Chuck Gore says, as you leave here today, you're going out on to the mission field. It doesn't start tomorrow. It starts now. And so just go out into that field. Be Jesus to the people that are around you. Find your identity in Christ. I also want to encourage you with this. If there's something that you need or want prayer about, my encouragement is that you don't leave this building today without receiving prayer from somebody. You know, we always talk, I joke around, you know, sometimes it feels like the longest 25-foot walk that you've ever taken, or maybe 50 if you're in the, in the back of the room. But, um, but I encourage you to take that walk and, um, and receive prayer. Uh, you know, somebody said to me the other day, hey, Andy, we've just been thinking about you a lot and been praying for you. And, uh, you know, here's what I know, what it means to me. It means a lot to me that people would take time. And so in this room, the Holy Spirit is working in people's hearts and lives. Um, I would just say, come and receive prayer. There's going to be people that are going to be up here to pray with you. And, um, yeah, let God do what only he can do, all right? But God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week. Have a great week.